my goodness. We're all, just like 50 years ago, we're all desperate people in this place that just seems so messed up and, and like so much has gone awry and we're all trying to find our way. And I think if Dylan uh, was born around the same time as St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, then he could have written that song. And when, when, when Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, which we're going to be in today, uh, maybe he would have quoted some of those lyrics Uh, The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, which is actually a letter that he was writing to his friends who were Jesus followers in Rome as he was on his way uh, to Spain. He was hoping to see them on his way to Spain. He wrote them this letter. It's full of encouragement. It's full of talking about the ups and downs of, of, of life and what life is with Jesus, what it means to be a Jesus follower. And specifically today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Paul didn't call it Romans chapter 8. He just called it this section of my letter, right? I mean, it was just a, a letter that he wrote, but we're, we've, we've divided it up so we can find these spots easy and reference them easy. And today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 where he's talking about life in the spirit and what that means to to be able to have the spirit-filled life. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. Uh, By the way, I'm just curious who's come the farthest today. Like, is there anybody further than China today? Because, oh my goodness, because we have like 30 people here from China, students that are over here that are studying, that are, that are learning about God, that are uh, watching. I was talking to Peggy, looking at how people are worshiping in American culture, and I'm sorry if we messed that up for you. Uh, no, it's so good to have you guys here today. We're, we're very glad that you're here. Let's welcome them. Man. You know, this, this title today of this message, uh, I decided to call it Free Spirit. It's kind of a double entendre uh, because the spirit that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8 is indeed free. It's something that as Jesus followers, we get for free. Uh, and there's also this kind of uh, footloose and fancy free kind of thing that goes with the spirit, that, that this life that the spirit is inviting us into, uh, in the words of the Apostle Paul, is adventurously expectant. And we're going to read those words today. And thinking about my friends who are here from China. Uh, we, we take a lot of that stuff for granted, and that adventurously expectant, or like as we just sang, uh, to shout it from the mountains, and, and like those things don't come as easy for you guys. I know that. I know that, uh, I know that it's tough back at home, and so we're, we're praying for you right now, and, uh, and we're super glad that you're here. Okay, so let's talk about the Spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 8, if you want to follow along. And today, I am going to read the entire uh, first 17 verses of Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read it out of the message because the message is a, it's a bit poetic. And, and I think uh, it kind of calls for this poetry when we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit today. It calls for this beautiful poetry. You can follow along. The Bibles that you have in, in the rows uh, next to you, those are the New International Version. Uh, so it might be a little bit janky if you're following along there and I'm reading out of the message, but uh, I think you'll get the point. And if you uh, have the version Bible app and you're following along today, then I did put the message version in there. Uh, so what are we talking about when we talk about the Spirit, when Paul is talking about the Spirit? Well, I- I'll tell you first of all what he's not talking about. Uh, he's not talking about just this, hey man, how's, how's your spirit, man? How's the spirit? Like, what's going on inside of you, man? Like, just throw it out there. Just manifest what you want. The universe is going to give it back to you, man, because, you know, the universe is on your side. We're not talking about 
that kind of spirit. We're not talking about hippy-dippy flowers in our hair on the way, are you going to San Francisco kind of spirit. We're not talking about that today. Uh, if you've uh, you know, gone on YouTube and you've searched videos about the Holy Spirit and what's happening in churches and you see people bouncing around with tambourines and, and foaming from the mouth and, and kicking around in the aisles, and uh, we're not exactly talking about that spirit, although I don't want to totally uh, mock that uh, today because honestly, sometimes when, when we're singing in here, the band is playing and, and I'm with my friends and we're worshiping God together, uh, do I want to grab a tambourine and jump off the stage and and get my groove on in the aisle sometimes? Yes. Do I want to be able to pull off saying the Holy Spirit and put A-H at the end of it and pronounce it Holy Spirit? Yes. I do want to be able to do that because I believe that the Spirit is inviting us into something that gives us an incredible amount of joy and an opportunity to celebrate. Uh, But we're not talking today about a Spirit that is Uh, that is some kind of voodoo or that is scary or unapproachable. No, quite the opposite. Uh, Paul is talking about this life in the spirit that is is very adventurous, but it's very inviting, and it gives us a a great deal of hope, and it gives us a great deal of joy, and the spirit is very approachable. And I want to be able to uh, talk through those things today. Uh, So uh, my friend, Lori Markey, uh, she uh, teaches yoga. And uh, just recently, uh, she was, started a, a yoga class here at Lakeside. And she was very concerned. She sat down and she talked with me. She was very concerned that people didn't think that we were going down some crooked path if she did yoga. Because sometimes she's had people point their finger at her and say, hey, you know, what's all this yoga nonsense all about? Are you going to be teaching people transcendental meditation and getting outside of themselves and yogi boogie, yogi yogi, whatever you want? To, I don't even know what I mean when I say that. But you know what I'm saying. She was really scared. And, and this was the core of it for us as we talked it through. We said, it's okay. Look at you doing a yoga class. Uh, that's fine. It, it's about breathing and it's about stretching. And if anybody knows that they need that, it's me. <laughs> I need to do more stretching because I have a hard time breathing. So this is, this is fantastic. So no, you go ahead and you do that. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to uh, be proponents of some kind of thing that says the end goal for us is to empty ourselves which sometimes is part of yoga. You know, the end goal is just to empty ourselves. And, and Paul says, no, that's not what's going on. Yeah, empty yourself of all the yuck. Get rid of all the, the yuckiness. Like, leave your old life behind. But the spirit that we're talking about is involved in a filling. He wants to fill us up. He wants to take over. We, we want to be swimming in the spirit. So it's not just about becoming something null and void and empty of something. No, it's about being filled with something that's life-giving. That's what we're talking about today. That's who the spirit is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And he doesn't always get top billing in our churches. We, uh, we talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about God the Son, Jesus. Uh, but today we get to talk about the spirit. It's one of my favorite chapters, one of my favorite parts of Romans because it's kind of an upswing from chapter 7. If the end of his letter was Romans chapter 7, then we would be in a world of hurt. It would be a very sad place to be because it is so woe is me. Because in Romans chapter 7, what Paul was saying, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You can download the message when Brad talked about it. What Paul was saying is, look, I'm in this spot where I want to do these things, but I just don't do them. And then I find myself doing these things that I don't want to do. 
And it's a very sad place to be. And I actually lived in that spot for a long time, and I surrounded myself with people who had that woe was me kind of an attitude. And and, and God doesn't want us to stay there. Paul didn't want us to stay there. And so Romans chapter 8 is this big upswing. And so it's an exciting thing that we're going to talk about today. And when we talk about the Spirit, uh, Jesus told us that he was going to send the Spirit. He said this in John 14, and we're going to put this up on the screen. uh, And this is in the New International Version. Uh, This is John 14, 16, and 17. You guys, if we can get that up there. Jesus said this. As he was going away, as he was telling them that he was going to be leaving them, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. Another translation says that uh, people don't know him because they don't know exactly where to find him. And Jesus was telling everybody, hey, look, it's going to be okay. I'm going away, but I'm sending another helper who who is the same as me. It's a helper of the same. It's like, have you ever gone wine tasting? Don't tell me you haven't. You're, you're trying to hide right now. Look, you go wine tasting and, and they, they pour you a little glass of wine and, and you say, I like that. And then you say, I might want to get a bottle of this wine. And they say, well, would you like us to, to fill your glass up? And you go, yeah, could, could I get another taste of that wine? And they take the same bottle and they pour some wine into that glass. You are having more of the same. It's a different glass, but you are having more of the same kind of wine. This is the kind of language that Jesus is using when he says he's sending another of the same. So now, uh, we are going to read the first 17 verses like I promised. I'm going to read them for you if you just want to listen to it, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to follow along, whatever you want to do, that's great. But this is out of the message version, very poetic. There's my big fat white head, which was the first title of this message, and then we changed it. All right. This is what it says. Uh, With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. What fateful dilemma? The, the chapter 7 dilemma. The we can't do this on our own dilemma. This, this feeling guilty about everything that we do dilemma. Like we, we can't solve that. And last week if you were here and if you weren't, I'll tell you about it. We, we painted words on canvases all over this auditorium. Things that, that held us down, that made us feel shackled, that made us feel like we were in prison, that made us feel guilty. We, we painted those things and then, and then Brad and Sean and I went and we painted brilliant white over those canvases uh, as just kind of a picture of what God wants to do with us. He doesn't want us to feel condemned. He wants to take that away. And this is the passage right here. This is what Paul is talking about, that there's no condemnation like we talked about last week. And those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to uh, live under a continuous low lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. And the spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I love what he says here. He says, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. Keeping the rules, keeping them perfectly, it it never would have made us feel free and like we didn't live in condemnation. The law 
always ended up being used as a band-aid of sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished. As we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, you know, pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and becoming self-made people, we simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. The Spirit of God is at work in us. He's living us, and, we, and we, we lean into that. And those who think that they can do it on their own, well, they end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. And those who trust God's action in them find, uh, find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into an open, into a spacious, free life. Isn't that beautiful? Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. And anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. And that person ignores who God is and what he's doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. Go figure, as if you didn't know that, right? But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, then you can hardly be thinking more about yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, they won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on, God ter- on God's terms. Now, I want to s- stop for just a second and say he's, he's not pointing the finger at people who don't know Jesus. He's just saying, if you're confused about this, you know, talk to somebody who does know what Jesus following I- is about or is learning what it means to be a Jesus follower because we have experienced this kind of thing. It, it's not a secret to be kept, right? And s- it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. And when God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. And with the spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and to get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons There are things to do and places to go. Grab your backpack. Let's go jump in Vominos. That last part was Dora the Explorer, but (laughs) this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. I love those words. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? And God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children, and we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. And we go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. I counted over 30 different times He talks about this expectant, overflowing life, this life that's coursing through our vein, this resurrection life, this life that Jesus offers, this powerful life. He describes it over and over throughout this part of his letter. I love the beginning part where he talks about Jesus uh, kind of inserting himself into this disordered mess because that's exactly what it feels like for us, right? 
It feels like a disordered mess. But Jesus came in and he said, look it, uh, the, the idea is not to escape the disordered mess. We're not going to do that. We live in the mess. It's not escapism that, that, that Paul is talking about. He's, a, he's talking about finding a new kind of life. He's talking about a new perspective that God is going to offer us through the Spirit. He's going to do something fantastic in us. He's going to give us spirit goggles. We're going to see the world as a kaleidoscope of color through these spirit goggles. And it's, it's a totally changed perspective. I, I've had friends uh, over the years, uh, because I'm a pastor, because I talk a lot about Jesus, they'll say things to me like, um, yeah, man, but... I, I just don't think I, c- I could be like you. I just don't know if I'm going to have it all together. Uh, word on the street is I don't have it all together. You can talk to my wife. She'll give you a whole bunch of stuff if you want. But listen, I'll tell you this. Whatever they see in me when they say that, I, I can guarantee you that whatever they see, I wasn't that 10 years ago. I wasn't that 20 years ago. And hopefully I'm not going to be what I am 10 or 20 years from now because the Spirit is always doing something. The Bible talks about salvation, and, and maybe th- that's a word that's kind of lost its power for us uh, today, uh, but it shouldn't. It's a beautiful word. It, it, it means delivered. It means healed. It means made well, and we see it, it actually that exact word that's translated salvation. We see those words translated as those other things, healed and made well throughout Scripture, and the great thing about the Spirit, Paul is saying, is that he starts something in us. Like he begins something in us. He does an initial healing, like he grabs our attention. And then for the rest of our life, he continues to heal us. So we're constantly being healed. And the thing is, is that until we see Jesus face to face, we're not going to ultimately be healed. And so life in the spirit is about leaning in to this healing that he offers in the midst of this disordered mess that Jesus took on when he put, uh, you know, when he, when he showed up and he was God in a skin suit. Now, this doesn't just happen overnight, right? I mean, you don't just wake up and, and you're filled with the spirit. Like you feel like every part of you is just living a spirit filled life. It doesn't just happen It's something that we practice as Jesus followers. It's something that we, it's like a craft. Uh, My grandfather had a craft. He he was a woodworker. Any woodworkers? Okay. (laughs) Got a woot woot from one person. That's awesome. All right, it's fantastic. So I used to love to watch my grandfather with his craft. When he was working with wood, it was awesome. And he had this routine. He had a pipe, a tobacco pipe that he kept in this top drawer of this red cabinet. And he'd pull out that pipe and he'd pack it and he'd light that pipe and he'd start working with wood. And I remember the smell and I remember the feel of it and being in the garage with him and the sawdust flying and, and, and teaching me how to sand and how to scrape things and how to, I mean, it was just a beautiful thing, but it was a craft that I had to learn. My grandfather uh, willed me all of his tools when he passed on, uh, and it was just a beautiful thing that he left me, and I, I'll never forget the day when I got that red cabinet in my own garage, and I opened it up, and Grandpa's pipe was in the top, and I said, this is going down, and I packed that thing with tobacco, and I lit it, and I started working with wood, and I was horrible at first, but you know what? I got better. And over the years, I started making our own furniture. I started making things for other people. I started selling things on the side to make extra money. It became one of my crafts. 
And as Jesus followers, life in the spirit is, is like learning a craft like that. And I want to suggest five crafts today that I think are, are super important for us. These things don't just happen, but this is how we lean into the spirit-filled life. Number one, I, I think scripture is a huge part of what it means to live life in the spirit. Being immersed in this. This is life-giving. Because the first time that I, I memorized Bible verses was for a backpack trip that I was going on, and I was required to learn Bible verses. And it was hard, and I thought, why are they making me do this as a young kid? And I'll tell you what, those verses, I, met, I, I know every single one of them today. And I've learned more over the years. And they come back, and they have rescued me so many times when I'm in the middle of the suck. Those things will come back into my mind. And I'll go, man, God's word is life-giving. And I, I don't know if you have a routine with this. I, I, I don't know if you wake up and you get a cup of coffee and you sit and you read your Bible. I don't know if you uh, carry with you a pen and a highlighter and a notebook. I don't know if you read Bible study books. I don't know if you still listen to cassette tapes like my dad. I don't know if you uh, are listening to, to, to preachers you know, through podcasts or, or I don't know if this is where you get your, your Bible on here at, at, at church. I don't know if that's where it happens for you. But I highly recommend that you do something because it's life-giving, because it's beautiful, And part of our craft as Jesus followers is to lean into this. And if we want a spirit-filled life, then then we need to be familiar with this. And don't feel bad if you're not familiar. Just just start. Just start getting familiar. So scripture is huge. And another thing that's huge is prayer. Prayer is a big part of life as a Jesus follower. There's not one way to pray. It's not always on your knees exclusively. You don't, you don't have to pray out loud exclusively or in a group or by yourself or in, in the car. It, wherever you pray, God says he wants you to do that. He wants it to be a regular part of your life. Whether you set aside, aside time for it and, and, and you say, this is my prayer time, or you're constantly in the state of prayer where you're always talking to God, which, by the way, gets easier the longer that you walk with Jesus uh, it, it, because the more you practice it, it just becomes part of what you do. I'm having a conversation with God right now as I'm talking to you, asking him to help me not say something stupid. I'm, I'm, I do it all the time. Listen, prayer is a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. Scripture and prayer, those are crafts that we need to practice because we don't just wake up uh, with a spirit-filled life. Generosity. This is huge. Learning to be generous is, is one of the crafts of a Jesus follower. Giving things away. Giving money to the church. Giving money to help people out. I have a friend that I have learned, he, he is so generous that when I go into his house and I see something that I like, I don't tell him I like it anymore because he's going to give it to me. And I, I don't want to manipulate the situation. He, like me, collects tobacco pipes. I think Grandpa started that for me. And, uh, I, and he's got this huge collection. I remember the first time going to his house, going, man, that is a beautiful pipe. He said, it's yours. Take it. I felt so weird by it. But, but part of it, I went, you know what? I want to be like Len. I want to just give my stuff away. And so my wife and I, over the years, we've been practicing giving stuff away and helping people out, and increasing how much money we give to the church. 
Brad and Sean and I were talking a little while ago about how we want to be among the biggest givers of Lakeside, our families. Why? So we can say we won, haha. So we can say we're better than, no. Because we want to be generous people. And we want to model generosity because being generous has totally changed our lives. And if you want to know what it's like to live a spirit-filled life, if you want the Holy Spirit to, to wreck your life in all of the beautiful ways, like Paul is talking about, then you learn to be generous. And it's something that you practice. You get better at it. Connection. Connection is another thing for us as Jesus followers. It's, it's part of our craft that we practice. Connection, being with other people, be, allowing other people into your lives, making relationship a, a key thing for you, inviting editors into your life, inviting people into your life that hold you accountable and edit you and, and are your friends and say the things that you need to say. And the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. I mean, this is a great thing. Relationships are huge, and it's something that we practice because we're not all naturally good at being good to one another. We have to practice relationship. We have to practice our connections with one another. The last thing is uh, service. That's the last of the five crafts that I told you that I promised you. Uh, Service. Man. Being involved with other Jesus people doing Jesus people things. These people who serve in guest services are beautiful people. Some of them, like Ben Pavan, who was here last night, he has served in guest services at Lakeside for 175 years. He's been here from the beginning. This guy is a beautiful human being. Sometimes, like, before y'all even get here, he's got a broom in his hand sweeping sidewalks. I just said y'all. I've never said that in my life. All of a sudden, I transported us to Texas. It's fantastic. All right. Go, Texas. (laughs) Anyway, so service. It's a beautiful thing. The more that we serve with others, we learn about this life in the spirit, this expectant adventure, this strap on your seatbelt because the Holy Spirit is taking you on a ride kind of a life. So we learn this craft. It's not about doubling up our efforts because we're going we're gonna to screw it up if we leave it up to ourselves. My friend posted on Facebook yesterday that she punched herself in the face while trying to pull the blankets up over her in the morning. And she said, if that is not a metaphor for my life, I don't know what is. <laughs> the next part uh, that Paul says is, he says, look, at, uh, beware and, and don't be one of these people who measure their own moral muscle. Uh, and we know these people, uh, the people who say I'm better than you by, by their actions, maybe by pointing a finger in, in your face. Uh, don't be that kind of a person. Life in the spirit isn't about one-upping one another. Uh, my, my daughter started a blog, and she just wrote a blog post the other day about being a sanctimommy which is a, a sanctimonious mommy, like a mommy who is, tells all the other mommies that they don't have their poop in a group, as my wife would say, like, like the, the, they can, that she's better than everybody else. And she's like, oh my goodness, you know, I confess that I live this life. I don't want to be that kind of mom. I don't want to make people feel bad. 
Well, we do that like in, in the spiritual realm, right? As Jesus followers, there's, there's camps of us that, that make other people, we make ourselves feel better by making other people feel bad about themselves. That's horrible. What kind of a life is that like? It's like going to a Carrie Underwood concert. And let me explain. I took my daughter-in-law to a Carrie Underwood concert because I, I won tickets, and I like Carrie, and it was great. We had a great spot. We were right up by the stage, and Carrie Underwood, uh, at one point, was singing her hit song, Before He Cheats, and at least 50% of the ladies in this room right now know every word to that song. The chorus says, I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, and I carved my name into his leather seats. It's a love song. <laughs> I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, and I slashed a hole in all four tires. And maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Yeah, it's about this woman who just goes blitzkrieg. I mean, she just, like, she just goes crazy uh, on, I don't know, we don't know if it's her boyfriend or lover or husband, we don't know, but we know that he did bad. So I'm at this concert. And I'm watching her sing this, and, and it's fantastic. And my friend Sean plays guitar in the band, and, and this is so great, and I'm enjoying the whole thing. And I turn around, and there are 10,000 women pointing their finger at me <laughs> while they sing these lyrics. I feel like I'm the only male in the place. And mankind is going down <laughs> at the Carrie Underwood show. And there's a girl right here who's, I dug my keys, pointing her finger. And I turned in, and this one's a pretty little souped up for her. And I, I was just like, what is going on? I'm like, I've been married for 30 years. I'm not a cheater. Everything's cool. I, I, everything's all right. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> Flexing your own moral muscle is like going to a Carrie Underwood show. I love how Paul says, life in the spirit, man, when you lean into this, you can hardly be thinking more about yourself than him because he is living and he is breathing inside of you. And you lean into that and it changes your perspective. My dad was telling me uh, the other day we were floating out on Folsom Lake in his old boat and, and he was telling me about his friend who read this article, the study that was done that you and I are actually now, there's a very high probability that we are breathing into our lungs the very molecules that Jesus exhaled on the cross. My dad was like, isn't that a mind blower? I thought, it is a mind blower. And also what is a mind blower is, dad, I'm reading in Romans chapter eight, and it says that the living, breathing God is inside of us as Jesus followers. That's a big deal. I was thinking about what does that do for me? What is that? How does that change my life? And I was on a motorcycle ride coming down the mountain from the high Sierras a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking about talking to you guys. And, and sometimes I like to think in metaphor, and I was on my motorcycle, and I was like, how is my motorcycle like a, a, a ride with the Spirit? How is my ride like life in the Spirit? And these are some of the things I thought through. And when I'm on my motorcycle, I'm very alert. And the Spirit has made me alert. Actually, there's a great passage in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, where we're told to put on this full armor of God, right? We, we put on this helmet and this breastplate and we pick up our sword and like we defend ourselves against evil. And if, if you want to read that passage, I highly recommend it. Great passage. And at the end of that, the Apostle Paul, who also wrote Romans, he said, he said look, 
He said, be alert and pray for one another. Uh, Prayer wasn't one of the weapons or one of the things we put on, by the way. It's kind of an interesting part of the passage. He says, be alert and pray for one another. And I thought, you know what? The Spirit has done that in my life. I can hardly be thinking about myself when I have other people on my mind. When I'm alert and I'm praying for other people, man, the Spirit is doing some amazing things in me. How often do we pray for other people and we have that kind of alertness in, in life where we're, where we're leaning into other people's story? I want to be like that. I want to think about other people. I want to pray for the people I don't like. You think because I'm a pastor, I, I like everybody? Nope. There's some people that I have a hard time getting along with and there's some people that don't like me. Well, what if we, what if we spent time being alert for one another? having one another's backs and praying for one another. Paul says, man, the Spirit is going to awaken in you when you do that. When I'm on my motorcycle, I'm aware. I'm aware of my bike beneath me. I'm aware of my breath in my helmet, especially if I had garlic fries. I'm, I'm aware of the landscape around me. I'm very aware, and the Spirit has made me aware. He's, he makes me see things that I, uh, I wouldn't otherwise see. He makes me see things in people that I wouldn't otherwise see. It's changed me in big ways. I was telling Brad last week over lunch that I I buy shirts off the clearance rack a lot. Not this t-shirt. But I I buy shirts off the clearance rack and they're loud and and they have big collars and, you know, floral patterns and that. Because everybody throws them away and I I like to go to the clearance rack and say, hey, I'm going to pick up these discarded shirts that nobody else wants. I'm going to get them super cheap. And you know what happens? I I take those shirts, I put them on, and inevitably every time somebody says, where did you get that shirt? It's so cool. And I'm like, well, you could have bought it, sucker, but you put it on the clearance rack and I've got it now. And the Spirit helps me see people like shirts on a clearance rack. He really does. He makes me so aware of what's happening in people's lives to be able to say, I know you've been discarded, but, but I want to I be with you. And then, and then other people, you know, start seeing the beauty in that person. That's a, that's a great life to live. And the Spirit offers that for us. I'm cautious on my motorcycle, but I'm not afraid. Bible says to be in the world, but not of it. That doesn't mean hiding from it. That doesn't mean running away from it. No, I'm cautious. I know that there's things that want to trip me up. But as I lean into the spirit, man, you guys, to embrace life. What did Paul say? What were those exact words? Adventurously expectant. It's beautiful. And I could go on all day talking about my motorcycle ride and how it's like life in the spirit. But we did this with our staff this week. We just gave them different scenarios and said, think about how this is like life with the spirit. And it's a fun exercise you should try. I love how he says, listen, finally, he says, this do-it-yourself life, you need to give it a proper burial. You're never going to have this thing wrapped up. You want this adventurously expectant life? The kind where you wake up and you say, what's next, Papa? Let's go. I love that. Other translations say, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's the kind of life that he wants for you and me. That's the kind of life that we can have. That's the upswing. We don't have to live with that woe is me in chapter 7. No, the Spirit wants to do something amazing. 
Have you seen uh, the movie uh, Big Hero 6? Okay, so it's a, it's a Pixar uh, movie. I, I, l- I just love those things. I'm a sucker for Disney and Pixar and all that. And especially now that I have grandkids, like it's all coming back. And I took my granddaughter to go see Big Hero 6. And Big Hero 6 has uh, like the, the hero in this thing. His name is, do you know his name? Is anybody? His name is Baymax. Thank you. His name is Baymax. And he's like, he looks kind of like the Michelin man. Uh, and or me, <laughs> and uh, anyway, you know. So he's this, he like he's this big dude, and he's this, he's a robot. He's a healthcare professional, and uh, a lot of funny things happen in this. And he ends up becoming the hero. It's quite sacrificial. Um, he, he the, the kid who is his owner falls in love with him. I mean, it's a beautiful uh, it, it's a beautiful story about relationship and redemption and sacrifice and having no fear and what it means to be a hero. And it, it's just beautiful. Well, I take my daughter, Clara, uh, my granddaughter, Clara, that is, uh, oldest granddaughter, to go see Big Hero 6 at the movies, and it's become a special thing for us. And then, uh, now fast forward a couple of years, my daughter uh, took Clara and the rest of the family up to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. It's that part of the state that's disconnected up above the state of Michigan, and there's a giant bridge that connects the Lower Peninsula to the Upper Peninsula. It's called the Mackinac Bridge. It's a beautiful bridge. You can look it up and Google it. It's, it's gorgeous. And my daughter asked Clara, as they're going over the bridge, hey, would you want to climb to the top of the Mackinac Bridge? And this is what Clara said. She sent me this video that's coming up, I promise. Talk amongst yourselves for just a second. Here we go. If you guys hit the space bar, it'll probably play. Sarah. What did you say? You would only climb to the top of the Mackinac Bridge if what? Happy was with me because he's my baby. What? That one's going to give me life and energy for the rest of my days. Now, I don't want to be silly. I don't want to be trite, comical. But that's kind of like life with the Spirit. It really is. You know, I think this little girl, you know, thinks that she could climb to the top of the Mackinac Bridge if I was with her. That kind of trust, that kind of what's next, that kind of expectant, adventurous, something, life is going on inside of me, that kind of thing. That's what he wants to offer us. And you could wrap up the power of Oprah and Tom Cruise and the Dalai Lama and your most powerful Pikachu. And it's not going to be the kind of thing that the living, breathing God offers. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the opportunity to be together and connect with one another today as we ask questions of you, we converse about you. We're all in the same boat, Lord, and we're all trying to figure it out. And what a, what a wonderful promise and what a wonderful thought that we could 
lean into the Holy Spirit, that we could practice a craft, that we could five years from now be a different person, ten years from now be a different person. Thank you for loving us so much that you would come into this disordered mess and you would offer that kind of a life to us. We love you. Amen.